I'd like to welcome uh, Stephen Galanis. So Stephen, welcome. Let's give him a round of applause. Thanks for having me again. Uh, you're very welcome. This is uh, Stephen's second time uh, with our class. So I'd like to start off by asking uh, the following question. When people ask you what you do, how do you respond? So I'm an entrepreneur. Uh, I started a company called Cameo. Have any of you guys heard of Cameo before? Couple, raise hands. Awesome, wow. Big difference from last year. Uh, what we do is we created a marketplace for personalized video shoutouts from celebrities. So we had this idea that selfies were the new autograph. So when you see somebody famous today, you go and take a picture with them and you try to put it on Instagram. When I was your age and I'd go to a Cubs game or I'd see some famous person coming through Glenbrook South, we tried to get them to sign our book and then have their autograph. We thought that in the digital age there was this opportunity to create this new product, and that's what we did. All right, so I'm going to go a little bit out of order from my, yeah. my list of questions. Uh, the idea of you know the selfie being the autograph of the 21st century, yep. is that an idea or, or sort of a, a notion that you came up with right away, or did you refine that into the storytelling of your business? That's a good question. Um, my co-founder, Martin, was an NFL agent, and he realized that there was this big gap between the amount of followers people have on social media. So I'm sure you guys follow a lot of people on Instagram or on Snapchat or on Twitter. And if you're a normal person, even like a, a normal in, a YouTuber that you guys might like, they probably don't make as much money as they think they do. In fact, 97% of all the money on YouTube goes to the top 3% of people, right? So there's a lot of really famous people out there that you guys watch all their videos and you guys are engaging with them all the time, but they have a hard time making money. Uh, my co-founder, Martin, as I mentioned, was an NFL agent, and he repped one of these guys. His name was Cassius Marsh. Cassius is a linebacker on the 49ers today, but back then he played for the Seattle Seahawks. This time last year, he was probably like the 14th best Seattle Seahawks player. So he wasn't a superstar. So think of any average Chicago Bear, not uh, Khalil Mack or Mitch Trubisky, who you know, are getting the huge endorsement dollars. And every time Martin would go to a restaurant with him or be walking down the streets of Seattle, everyone would come up to him and want to take a picture with him, but nobody was asking for his autograph. So that was something that we were thinking about as a larger concept. But I think, like, as, as the marketplace evolved, we really kind of rooted on that as the selfie is the new autograph. I think it's something that in a consumer business, when we're trying to explain people what we do, it just makes a lot of sense to people. Very interesting. Um, before we get into Cameo and you know, your professional credentials and career, can you tell us a little bit about your origin story? You know, where did you grow up? Yeah, so I, I'm from Indian Ridge. I went to Glenbrook South. I graduated in 2006. Anyone Indian Ridgers here? 2513 Indian Ridge Drive, right by the park. Uh, so I literally was you guys. I sat in the same chair. We didn't have the business incubator or Mr. McFadden to be uh, coaching us up on how to run a business, but I mean, I, I've sat in the same things. I played hockey here. I played baseball. I played football. I did debate. So probably a lot of you guys did similar things that I did. I was involved in student council, was class president. Uh, so literally have been walking through the same steps that you guys have done. Uh, after Glenbrook South, I went to Duke. I had a awesome time there. I played hockey and I ran a business with another Glenbrook South alum named Zach Maritas, and it was called Spartan Entertainment. 
And essentially what we did was we started throwing beer pong tournaments at all the local bars on campus and ran a really... students that were 21 years or older. Yes, the students that were 21 years or older. And uh, this was the early days of Facebook when only college students could be on Facebook. That was like a thing back in the day. So when I was in high school, you, what are you guys, seniors or how old are you? Sophomores, sophomores, juniors. So my my senior year of high school was the first year high school students could even be on Facebook. You used to literally need a .edu email address or you couldn't even get on. They used to actually go school to school. So I was at Illinois State University and U of I had it. So all my friends that were there were like, are you on Facebook? But we couldn't. We had to like wait three months and then we got it. Yeah, and, and literally... Uh, I don't know if so you guys aren't in the college application thing, but people when I was a senior, they used to apply to schools with rolling admissions just to get a college email address and get accepted so they could get on Facebook earlier. Uh, now, how, why am I telling you guys this? So the really interesting thing was this tool Facebook was something that uh, right away I recognized the potential of. And when I got to Duke, I created this Facebook group that ended up having over one third of the entire school in it. So through that power, which nobody else could have, I could send one Facebook message or one invite out and everybody would show up at the bar that I was throwing or everyone would use the storage company that uh, me and Zach created or the t-shirt printing services. So I've always been somebody that's really believed in network effect and, and building up networks. And then when you have those networks, you can sell a lot of different things on there. Uh, after graduating, I came back to Chicago, and I was an options trader. Anyone have trader parents? Okay. Uh, so I was in the pit. Like if you guys see on CNBC, the guys with the jackets and do the crazy hand signals, I did that. Uh, did that for a few years, and then I went and worked at LinkedIn. Any of you guys have LinkedIn profiles yet or know what LinkedIn is? LinkedIn's basically Facebook for adults almost. <laughs> uh, it's like the professional network. Did that for a while and then had the idea for Cameo. So that's kind of what I've been doing since I was sitting in your chair. You mentioned a story, I think, on your LinkedIn profile about something that you uh, that uh, your boss said to you in one of your first weeks at LinkedIn about all of the new hires weren't going to be there in two years' time. Yep. Could you tell us a little bit about about that? Provide some context to that. Yeah. Panel? So that's that's a great story. Uh, the very first day I worked at LinkedIn, it was June or July 5th of 2015, and I'm sitting in a room just like this, and there's this guy who stands up at the front. His name is Mike Gamson. Mike Gamson's from Highland Park. He's the global head of sales at LinkedIn. So if you're not an engineer at the company, everybody reports up to him. And Gamson's sitting there, and there's probably, it's a room a little bit bigger than this, but there's probably 50 to 100 new hires in Chicago, and then there's 36 offices around the world, and he's standing up front, and everybody's watching this presentation, and the first thing he says is, welcome to LinkedIn. Two years from today, none of you will be doing the job I just hired you for. We know that. We support that. We have the profile data to prove it. So your job in the next two years is to figure out what your dream job is. And when you figure that out, we'll help you get those skills, whether it's here or somewhere else. And when you're ready to leave, find someone better than you to take your place. Like for me, that was like mind-blowing advice. I'd been a trader, and when I was a trader – if I'd ever told my old boss, like, hey, Joe, this is, uh, this is really you know, not working out or I want to do something else, like, I would have been fired the next day. And at LinkedIn, it gave me the opportunity to think about self-growth. Self it gave us the opportunity to realize that realistically in th this economy, like, you're not going to do one job your whole life. 
you know, my dad worked at this company called Follett for 35 years. Like none of you will work anywhere for 35 years. Most of you guys are going to have seven to eight different companies that you work for in your career. That's what the t statistics say now. So that's why it's so important to just get like a great liberal arts education and, and learn how to think versus like learning a specific skill set because you have to be nimble out there. What does that mean, learn to think? Yeah, I mean the, the job of today, like Cameo, the people I hire, they're doing a job that literally nobody's ever done before. So uh, I have to hire smart people, but I can't, I can't find like, hey, who's the best engineer out there that knows how to build this thing that was just in my head, right? Or who's going to be the person that makes sure we're fulfilling these videos when there is no comparable job in Chicago or really anywhere in the world to exactly what we do. So, you know, when you guys are entrepreneurs and you guys come up with your companies, you're, you're, you're literally just by definition of being an entrepreneur, you're making something that's never been done before. So you need to find people that are okay with not knowing like, hey, you got to go from A to B, like with a straight line direction. They have to, uh, <laughs> you kind of have to just figure it out on your own. There's no playbook to follow. You have to write the playbook. I mean, I'm writing the playbook right now, you know, and in this time we have 21 employees now. When I spoke this time last year, we had zero and there was no playbook for that. You know, I didn't know I'm going to hire this person then this person. It just, you kind of go by need. So let's uh, go back a couple of steps. Yep. So how did Cameo come to be? You're, you traded, you're at LinkedIn. They said you're probably not going to be here in two years time, or at least not in that particular yep. role. How did you go from what I assume was probably a comfortable job with good benefits, predictable hours? Yeah. Um, how did you decide to leave that and start this business, Cameo? I'm still asking myself that question. <laughs> uh, so the way that this all came about, my my I'm Greek. My yaya passed away a couple years ago in October, and we were I was driving home from her funeral and driving my buddy, my now co-founder Martin back to O'Hare from basically by Old Orchard Memorial Park over there. And in that ride, he was telling me about this problem he was having where essentially he repped these NFL players that had a lot of social following, but nobody was paying them to do endorsement deals. They weren't getting the Nike contract. They weren't getting the Adidas contract or a Gatorade. And he showed me this video, and I'll play it for you guys, that literally changed my life. And the context of this video, his good buddy Brandon was number two in Nike's marketing department. So this guy works with LeBron and Kyrie and Michael Jordan and all the biggest athletes in the world. But he loves the Seattle Seahawks more than anything. And when he had his very first son, Martin got a player on the Seattle Seahawks to send him this message congratulating him on having his first kid. So take a listen to this. from the Seahawks, man. I just want to say congratulations on Maverick. And, uh, you know, I'm sure if he gets your athletic ability, he'll be playing for the Seahawks one day, man. Go Hawks. So you guys don't know who Brandon is. You don't know who Maverick is. You don't know who Cassius Marsh is. But that piece of content, it's cool. And it was personalized. It was authentic. But what blew us away was that guy put it on Instagram. And this is a guy that you're number two at Nike's marketing department. You can talk to any athlete in the world. He put it on Instagram and said it was the best gift he ever got in his life. So that was really, really, really surprising to us. And that was kind of our aha moment where it was like, if this person who could get access to anybody thinks that that is the greatest thing he's ever seen, 
what if we could what about the like average person that's sitting in the stands that just watches the Seahawks every game but could never get that how much how would they feel if, if we could facilitate this for them somehow and uh, that's how cameo was born uh, when we first started we the very first thing we sold were socks customized socks from Cassius Marsh uh, our big idea was for X amount of money, you could do Y activity with Z person. Fundamentally, we believe that everybody has a price to do any activity with. So there was probably some price that we could pay to have this guy show up at a kid's birthday party. There might be a price to go. This particular guy loves playing Magic the Gathering more than anything. So there's probably fans out there in Seattle that would love nothing more than to have a player from their favorite football team play Magic the Gathering with us. And as we started iterating, we had about 50 different things that we were selling. Shout-outs, uh, Twitter mentions, pictures, all this type of stuff. But we kept coming back to those videos, and we thought that that was really special, and we didn't know of any other company in the world that was doing it. So one of the things that we do in this class when we're thinking about coming up with a business idea is we identify like a space that we want to work in. So it sounds like Cameo initially did the same thing. You found a space, something with like this quasi-celebrity athlete influencer that you know, like, there, there's some problem there that exists and it seems like you had an inkling of yep. what that was but you weren't exactly sure what it was and you tried a couple of things. Can you again explain the sock thing one more time? How did that work? Yeah, so... Uh, Cassius, how did it not work? <laughs> so so we, I, I would say it was successful. We sold seven pairs of socks. So we, we really thought personalization as a concept was like a really big idea and authenticity. And for this guy, Cash, as you could see from the video, he's all these tattoos. But his most famous tattoo is his polar bear tattoo. Uh, he's half black, half white, but he's albino. And all the guys on the team call him a polar bear because he's white on the outside, but black on the inside. That's what they call him. And uh, the thing that was just crazy about that was – that is his identity among the team, among everything. So what we did was he drew up this logo that was his tattoo, and we started selling these polar bear socks. And from those socks, like literally, we sold seven pairs of socks at like $20 for the first playoff game of the, the Seattle Seahawks had two years ago. And, you know, as we learn more about it, there's other companies that sell custom merch or custom stocks, I'm sure – I'm looking around. I'm sure some of you guys, if you go to another classroom, you'll see people like David Dobrik or Cody Ko, and they're selling their merch and all that type of stuff. So that business is out there. Like we didn't have any reason to think we could be the best in the world at making customized socks or or merch. But as far as we knew, nobody was making those videos, and we felt we had a chance, at least as good as anybody else, to be the best in the world at it. I'm curious, how did you sell the socks? Was it online? Yeah, we made a Shopify store. I don't know if you guys have ever used Shopify, but it's a really simple uh, platform that exists. And I know this will go back to a question that he's going to ask later. But as much as you can, when you have your first idea, as much as you can like not reinvent the wheel and use things that exist already, to put in perspective, when we first created Cameo, we used to like literally, this, it was so low tech, we used to email the celebrities and say, hey, can you record this video and email it back to me, right? There was no tech that we built. We were just working on top of things that worked already. Um, Shopify, we didn't need to build, like rebuild the wheel and, and we used a storefront that all we had to do is plug and play and put a picture of our product on there and sell it. Like there's no reason any of you guys can go right after this at lunch 
go to the computer lab and like create your own Shopify store. These technologies are super easy. And you know, I, I would just urge you when you guys do decide to start your business, try to use as many scalable things as possible and try to not reinvent anything that doesn't need to be reinvented. So it's not so you're using like off the shelf products and tools and technology and solutions. So explain how you go from, you know, your emailing celebrities to email you back and then how'd you pay them? Like you just pay them with PayPal or Yeah, so uh, we use something called Stripe. Stripe's another one that's payment processor it's like six lines of code and it's i think it's like a nine billion dollar company now it's just totally revolutionized e-commerce um but that was another thing like we're not going to get in the payment processing business so yeah we have to pay stripe like two or three percent on every transaction but the time it would have taken me to become like a payment processing company when we're only like selling one thing it doesn't make sense so that's another example where you bring you know another existing technology in the fold so on that topic, you know, you're the CEO founder of a technology company, yeah. essentially. You yourself, do you have a tech background? I was a history major, so uh, no, I can't code. I've never wrote a line of code. If I talk to engineers, I have no idea if they're good or not. Uh, that's one of the things. So one thing that you learn as a founder is you try to focus on the things that you do best, and as quickly as possible, you try to hire people that are better than you at every other thing that's out there. So you guys heard my you know, career trajectory, like, but, you know, have some finance in there, and, and uh, as a history major, you're a good storyteller, so, like, what I'm best at is um, a lot of the stuff that, you know, if you guys follow Cameo, you know, like, we're constantly in the news, we're constantly out there, you know, selling our, our brand and selling ourselves, and that's, you know, what I do best. So, how did you get to version 1.0? How did you get to the first sort of minimum viable product that was sort of beyond the you know, just cobbling it together that looked like a real application. What, what was that process? Yeah, the first thing was, uh, so really early on, I recruited an engineer to help build it. I went to somebody I know, which I, I think is a really common front. And something that's really cool about the experience you guys are going to have here, you know, you guys are going to be literally starting businesses with people that you've grown up with and people that, you know, you've sat next to each other in a class like this. Uh, I went back and my... Co-founder Martin, someone I'd been doing businesses with for five years, and my other co-founder Devin, somebody I went to college with. So, you know, usually it's very common to start with people you know and trust. And uh, Devin was technical, and the very first thing that we did, we used Facebook Messenger to create a bot platform. And basically it was super simple where the request would come in, they could accept or decline it. They would record the message and send it right back to us on Facebook Messenger. And that's how we did the fulfillment. Um, on the front end on the web, like our website looks pretty much the same today as it did, you know, I mean, it's better than it was, but like the, the common flow flow is, is really easy. Have any of you guys booked cameos before? You have? Who'd you get? Uh, the HQ guy with... Uh, Scott Rogowski. Scott. Yeah. So that, but that booking flow is like really easy. It was like, Who's the video for? You put your friend's name in. You put your email address in the message. That's it. Um, simplicity, I think, is so key. You know, there's a 10,000 little features we think we could build. But, you know, the, the more simple you can make it, the better. Cool. So then, so how did it evolve? Like, what were the, the stages? And maybe if we could, you know, pull back the curtain a little bit. Can you talk a little bit about, like, development costs? Like, what does it take to bring a tech product to market? A lot of money. Uh, <laughs> so when we first got going, um, my founder Martin and I, we were literally paying for this out of our pocket. 
And if you guys are still at the age where you can learn to code, I highly suggest it. Uh, coders, even at best friend price, are running something like $80 an hour. So I'm sure some of you guys are working in the Glen at Yard House or the restaurants that I've probably worked at. You're making like 12, 13 bucks an hour. If you want to learn, start making some good money, learn how to code. Um, they're expensive and there's not that many of them. So one of the things that we did, you know, we would be shelling out money every week. And I was making a lot of money at LinkedIn, but... I kept finding that every dollar that was going in my pocket at LinkedIn, it was going right out to my developer. So we ended up raising some money right after that to go hire more developers and to stop the burn at least of, you know, every month me losing money. So initially you started off where you were just bankrolling everything with your co-founder. Yes. That you quickly sort of burnt through that pile of cash. It got expensive, yeah. So yeah Especially you- when I decided to leave, right? And, and I know that was a question that I didn't answer. Um so you do that for a while, and then it gets to this point where like, you should never leave to start your business until you literally can't think of anything else. And the, the aha moment for me on, on leaving, so for about three months, we'd been financing this business, and we'd all been working part-time. But I remember uh, I went on vacation with a few guys I worked with at LinkedIn, and we were in Nicaragua. And I remember uh, one of the guys asking me, Stephen, if somebody comes up with this same concept that you have and becomes a billionaire and you're still working at LinkedIn trying to do this part-time, could you live with yourself? And nobody had asked me that question before, but the second that was asked me, it was so obvious that I had to go out and and try to do this. And, uh, you know, starting a business is more than anything, it like just, it becomes you, right? Like I don't like the things I do for fun or I work more, right? Every time I talk to somebody, this is what they want to talk about. So it becomes all-consuming, your social life, your everything else. It, it has to be all about the business or you're not going to be able to survive. So, um, you know, to answer Mike's question earlier about uh, what do you want to work on, make sure you're doing a, you're working in a space that you're passionate about. I love sports. I love entertainment. So for me, there's no more perfect company for me to be working in than the things that I'm going to do on my own. You know, when, when I was sitting in the pit trading – I'd be reading ESPN all day. So like it makes a lot more sense that I'm now working at a business where knowing what's going on in the sports world or knowing what's going on in the entertainment world is literally like important for my day job. Cool. Um, I want to talk about a milestone that took place, I think, a a couple months ago at this point. Yep. The procurement of Cameo.com. Yeah. So could you explain to the class first what you used to be, why you weren't, what you maybe would think you would be sure. in the process and maybe the dollar amount that yeah, went into so that. Yeah, so first off, naming a company is really, really hard. And when you guys start thinking, this will be something that like holds you up. I don't know if you guys, probably the biggest comp is like when you're writing a paper in class, right? You know, you, you want to have that like perfect title that just like you think nails the paper. But at the end of the day, just start writing, you know, start working. We had no idea what we were going to call the company. When we went to market and we sold our first video, we were called PowerMove. It was PowerMove.io was our website. I think if you go there, it still goes to Cameo. Uh, then we hired a branding firm in Miami that made our logo and like did all that stuff for us. And they came up with three names for the company, none of which we went with. It could have been called Hero Hub. It could have been called Hyped, H-Y-P-D, or it could have been called Thrillo. Now, Thrillo, like Thrill, I like thrill with an O at the end. And as you guys can like imagine, none of those names were like as good as what we needed. 
but we kept iterating and we kept coming at it. And we, my brother actually, my little brother had this idea of like, hey, they're like, these people are making a cameo in your life. And, you know, we have some connections to the film industry, Martin and I. So it turned out like that was the perfect name. Now, when we went at it, there were other things called Cameo. Someone else had Cameo.com. So what we decided to do is to call our website BookCameo.com, which made a lot of sense. It was like an action verb right ahead of, you know, our, our branding. But then what happens is people get confused, right? So we would have celebrities saying, hey, I'm on Book Cameo. It's like, no, the company's called Cameo. And it Don't took us, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it took us uh, over a year to get cameo.com. Was it actively being used? No. So some guy, another job that you know, I, I feel like we've all missed the boat on. But if you were your age in 1999 and you had the foresight to buy every fun one-word domain name, so this guy owned like kiss.com, and he's made millions by sitting on top of these like premium web domains and paying 99 cents a month and just waiting for the right idea to come on. And when I first talked to the guy, he said he would need at least $250,000 to sell us the website. And when those conversations were going... I want to just point out, if the name is available, it costs $12 a year to maintain the rights to you. So like learn, uh, there's like at mcfadden.com, I, I spend 15 bucks every year. Yeah. All right, so this guy who owned Cameo was paying $15 every year until Steve came along. Until I came along. You know, but it was one of those things where we didn't let not having the name get in the way of the business. So I think this goes down to the iteration. Book Cameo was fine. And when I, we could have continued to have that, but it did get to a point where our business grew to the point where it was becoming so costly for people not being able to find us or end up at the wrong spot. So for those of you guys that are familiar or those of you guys that follow any of the YouTubers or people on the platform, a lot of times they'll say things like, hey, go download the Cameo app and come find me on Cameo.com, swipe up, right? But we didn't have an app at the point and we also didn't have Cameo.com. So we'd be getting all this free influencer marketing, but it was sending people the other way. By the time we ended up pulling the trigger on Cameo.com and we did a lease to buy deal, so basically, we paid $2,500 a month to have this website for the next six years. And we have a purchase option for $400,000 that could buy it. So all in, this website could end up costing us like six or $700,000. Uh, but the nice thing about it is today, $2,500 is less than one day's worth of net revenue for me. So it gets to the point where we're making so much money that it's more costly to not have it than to have it. Um, but yeah, that's still a good, that's a good job. If you can find some premium one word domain names, it's a good investment. That's a very interesting story. <laughs> um, can you tell us a little bit about the growth trajectory of Cameo? So you said at this time last year, you had zero employees with the exception of like you and your co-founders. And then now you're at 21 employees. Yeah. So bottom line, uh, yeah, so this time last year we had, uh, I might have one employee, like one full-time employee, and we had like 12 interns last summer. And then this year we have 20, like this time right now, we have 21 employees. On revenue terms, we were doing, in August of 2016, 2017, we were doing, I think we did 36K in, net, in uh, gross revenue. 
this last month we did 400 over 400,000 in net revenue. So business has grown about 2000% year over year. Uh, we had maybe 40 to 50 talent on the platform when I spoke last time. We have 3,500 talent on there today. We'd probably done about 1,000 cameos by that point. We've done 60,000 now. So there's just a lot of growth um, throughout the company. Can you talk a little bit about, um, there was one story that I saw on your LinkedIn about how someone you had hired as an intern a year ago is now in charge of your London office. Yeah. Can you uh, explain sort of the, the risks and advantages of maybe working for a startup, if not starting your own startup? Yeah. Um, so probably around this time last year, this girl named Abby Shepard started with me. She was a foreign exchange student from London. And for her study abroad, she was studying international business. She wanted to be working at a tech startup in Chicago. Uh, it happened through some college connections. I got set up with her. I interviewed her. Again, I had no idea if she was going to be good or not. I didn't know if the company would still be alive, to be honest, a year later. But there was something about me in the gut that was like, let's take a chance on her. And she came in. She absolutely crushed it. By the time she left, um, it was, she was on a one-year visa. So we've been trying to like get her to stay, and she wants to stay. But um, bottom line, she just dropped out of college, and she's working for us full-time now. Um, she had been for last year. She was my best employee as a 21-year-old. She was so good at her job that I promoted her four, four times. She got raises, and now I'm literally putting her in charge of my entire non-U.S. business and sent her off to London where she's opening an office. And she's doing this at 22 now. So one thing about that is cool about a startup is if she was 21 working at LinkedIn, there was no way that she would be able to – there's just too many people ahead of, of her. But when she was working for me in the startup – I mean, she was literally writing the playbook of like, what's this role going to be? And what is the bar of how good somebody's going to be there? So there were no impediments to her growth. And for me, when I was trading, which trading was a very hierarchical uh, business where you had to put your time in as a clerk and get people coffee and all that stuff and kind of work your way up. I really was, that was something that, you know, my first four years of my professional career were very frustrating to me having been someone that was a CEO in college and now I'm getting people coffee at 22. Like that was something that was really, really hard. And there's this personality test out there. It's like 16 personalities.com. I don't know if you could do it, but I am an entrepreneur. Like that's my personality type. There's about 3% of the world that does it. And one of the things is like, you just don't listen to people, <laughs> you know, like you're not great in those structured environments. So for me, it's so painful to not be in control of my own destiny that I needed to go start something. And for Abby, she has that same gene and she's gonna be a CEO one day. So what I've been able to help her do as somebody kind of almost looking at what could I do if I had another shot to like mentor myself, um, I've given her the opportunity to say, hey, this is what I want you to build. Go, go be entrepreneurial and be the CEO of this side of the business. And she's been amazing. It seems like that is connected to your experience at LinkedIn where you realize uh, perhaps that if you try to you know, constrain her and make her do the thing that you want her to do, she's probably going to leave. Yeah. But instead, you give her the ability to, to flourish within. She's going to do great things for you and your business. Uh, yeah, cannot agree more. And this is also another thing, too, in a startup. I hire people for potential over experience every day. Most of the people that work for me are like 23 years old. 
I hire, hire people right out of college. The number one way we get new talent, people ask all the time, is Instagram DM. Every one of you is better at Instagram DMing than me and Mike are. Or any of the you know experienced salespeople I get hired from LinkedIn or Microsoft or anywhere else. So like this is a skill set that you know you guys are uniquely positioned to have. I hire a team. I have seven people that all they do is DM celebrities all day, right? And you could imagine like who those people are. They look like you guys. They're a couple years older, um, which is you know which is which is fun. So in a startup, potential over skill all day. Um, I'm going to shift gears just a little bit. Can you talk a little bit about the um, startup ecosystem in Chicago specifically and where you guys are located, maybe how that has influenced your growth, if at all? Yeah, the startup ecosystem in Chicago is amazing. Uh, we're located at this place called 1871. Have you guys ever heard of 1871? I think you guys will probably take it. Maybe. You guys may take a field trip there at some point. <laughs> I don't want to overpromise or anything, but uh, 1871 was basically this thing. You guys will be seeing it on TV all the time. J.B. Pritzker, the guy running for governor, you know, he in his commercial, oh, I created this space, 1871, and we've created all these jobs. So basically, Chicago, when I graduated college, used to be like a tech desert. If I wanted to, coming out of Duke, if I wanted to start a company like Cameo, there was no question I was going to move to San Francisco or maybe Boston, and that's about it. But what's happened is companies like Groupon and companies like uh, Raise.com is one that's been successful or Grubhub or Spot Hero. These companies are starting to become really successful here. And when they have exits, meaning they either go public or somebody buys them, that creates like the next wave of, you know, angel investors and millionaire employees that can go off and, and have developed the skill sets to build their own company. And that tech scene here is absolutely thriving. And that's a big reason why, you know, you look at a business like Cameo and many people are like, why are you building this in Chicago? Why isn't this in L.A.? It's really because of the mentors in 1871 and all the investors that have come out and, and really helped get my company off the ground. Cool. Uh, I guess this will be our last question before we open it up to audience questions. Uh, what advice do you have for young entrepreneurs? Just get started, right? Like, it doesn't matter what you're selling first. Just start selling something, right? Like, start a business. Uh, find great mentors. That's a really big one. Uh, probably underrated. I know, like, when I was your age, I didn't really feel like I needed to ask anybody for help. But I lean on people today, like, way more than I did when I was your age. And find people that, you you know, your friend's dads or, you know, stuff like that. Your moms that you think are really successful, you really think that you're doing cool stuff and ask them how they got there. Um, you know, just hearing that, you know, your friend's mom is a partner at McKinsey and, you know, you have to go to this college, you have to do that. The path to like how people get to where they are is really unconventional for everybody's. There's not one way to do it. If you didn't take AP, you know, BC calculus sophomore year, like you can still be successful. It's fine. You know, if you drop out of college, like you're, not it's not the end of the world, right? I know entrepreneurs, Abby Shepard, who's like literally my best employee, just dropped out of college, right? So there's no there's no one path to success, but if you guys can just always invest in yourselves and constantly teach yourselves new things, like find new skills, it's a great way to use your time. All right. Thanks, Steve. Let's give him a round of applause.